Welcome to Plans Are Booked, a podcast for every reader. I'm Molly Geller. I'm Stephanie Blackburn. And I'm Caitlin Madison. So it's been 20 hours since we recorded our last podcast. We're really front-loading because Molly has some travel coming up and there's a long weekend. And so we just were like, let's get these going. And we have tons of books to talk about for once. Like sometimes we have homework to do and sometimes we don't. And right now we're in like a good spot where we don't have any catching up to do. Um, So we're together again. And in the last 20 hours, like a lot of different things <laughs> happened for whatever reason. I went to an awesome ramen place in Somerville in Davis Square with my brother called, I'm going to say it wrong, Su Tu Ramen. T-S-U is how it starts. And then just type in Somerville and you should be good. Um, but it was unbelievable. My brother got a truffle broth. And it was like a clear brown broth. I wish I had gotten that because it was, I've eaten a lot of ramen in my life and like it was the most unusual broth that I have tried. Um, And my brother is so funny. Like if he won't share an ice cream, like he won't let you take a bite of his ice cream, like with a spoon, but he was like, yeah, dunk your spoon in here and get some broth. And I was like, you don't make any sense. I think Brad and I might actually be twins because I, I understand that. The ice cream thing? Oh my gosh. Well, anyways, he's a weirdo. We also split a beer. So like, I'm like, I don't understand. Anyway, so his broth was superior. I got like a spicy python, which was really good. The egg was done to perfection. He and I had different kinds of ramen noodles. His were straight and looked more like a spaghetti and mine were wiggly and more like traditional looking. I have no idea what that had to do with the broths, but I found that very interesting. And it's like a no frills, like you order at the counter and they bring it out to you. And the meat was like unbelievably tender. I know that that's not appealing to either of you, but it is to me. And um, they had gluten-free noodles. You're welcome. But I don't know that they had a vegetarian broth. You would have to ask. Well, but, but isn't, some of the broths are made with like meat bone, oh. you know? Yeah. So that I would look into. Um, and it was delicious. Then we went to the store called Kamikaze because just from the outside, we were like, this place looks bomb.com. I've never seen so many figurines in my entire case upon case of figurines. They have comic books. They have trading cards. They have um, figurines, like collectibles. They have graphic novels. Like if you go on their Instagram, a lot of it is like, these are the new comic books and graphic novels out this week. That's, I think, how they started. And then they became more of a collector's type of place. They have like Star Wars Legos that are from like the 80s. Like they have baseball cards from the 80s that are unopened in like wax paper like old school, like that you would get like your bazooka gum, you know, like that kind of wax paper. Anything you could possibly imagine. Of course, I found the Muppets display. Of course, I wanted everything in there. There was a Sam the Eagle figurine that was the size of my thumb, like the height of my thumb that was $99 because it was that unique. And my friend, who's like a huge collector, I was like texting him videos and pictures and was like, you have to come here and his wife is going to absolutely destroy me because they like 
need to move into a bigger house for all of his collections. That's not even a joke. Um, and he was like, oh, Sam the Eagle stuff is like big time. And I was like, he and he likes the Muppets, but he's not like into the Muppets like I am. And I was like, how do you even know this stuff? They also like have author events there i found out for like a lot of graphic novels so i'm like i'm like on their newsletter now and all like i'm gonna be a super fan um i walked away with a muppet set that is fozzy and which they had next to no fozzy stuff and he's my favorite um it's fozzy and gonzo and like camilla the chicken and like some props that go with them so i'm gonna put that with my minifig lego display at work which brad was like oh cool more of this but people really like it and we have kids that come to the office and like everybody it's mainly adults that like it to be honest with you but like a lot of people comment on it and really like it and i was like brad we don't have an aquarium in our office this is our aquarium like my muppet display is the equivalent of having an aquarium it's a conversation starter people like it and it's in my area it's not out in the like sitting area. It's like behind my desk. Steph is nodding because she's been there and she's seen it. It's classy looking, right? I like it. Okay, thank you. It's not too kitschy and weird. Not at all. Okay. He hates kitsch. He also hates trinkets. He calls it trinketry. He's like, oh, here comes Kate with more of her trinketry and bullshit dust collectors. That's what he says to me. Yeah. He's basically my dad, but five years younger than I am. So... We did the figurines, we did the ramen, then we went to Saloon, which was a bar that his friend recommended that I had never been to, which is like a downstairs mahogany wood, like a speakeasy. smoked mirror, speakeasy kind of delightful, whatnot, what have you. I drank too many Negronis. He had a peanut butter whiskey with an egg white fluff something oh. something. I Honestly... <laughs> A different bartender brought the drinks over than we ordered from, and he like went to set them down, and I was like, "No, reverse this," because like Brad got the girly drink and I didn't. So that was like a fun moment for me that I don't even think he caught, but I was like, "I saw that," and they thought you were the Negroni drinker. Um, so it was just like a really nice night. Um, it was very warm out, so that was like unusual and fantastic. And um, and then I showed up here, and Steph made me a toffee sweet vanilla espresso latte situation and then there's also like brown butter chocolate chip cookies so i'm gonna let you launch into what the hell it is you did last night um baking and cooking are the things that completely calm me um i've used them as procrastination techniques for years but um when i'm like really wound up and need to just calm down, following a recipe, playing music, and just like hanging out with Bingley in the kitchen. He's my sous chef. He sits next to me. Um, completely sort of unspools my brain. So I made um, my go-to recipe is uh, Bon Appetit's uh, brown butter toffee cookies, but um, I do them a little bit differently. Um Brown butter makes everything better, and I added in Heath Bar bits. You know, you can get a bag of those in the baking aisle. And then we had leftover chocolate from Christmas. <laughs> so I chopped that up, um, milk chocolate and dark chocolate. And um, there's sea salt. There's flaked salt on top. Um, I think I had the equivalent of six cookies between taking bits of dough each time I was scooping them and also had four 
completed ones out of the oven. Um, but um, yeah, she told me to bring a Tupperware, and I was like, "I'll be there in five. <laughs> Stephanie's cookies are like next level, and I'm very lucky to live walking distance from her apartment. And sometimes she'll just text like. Not sure when you're walking with Scout next, but if you want to come this way, like I'll toss these out the door for you. Oh, last I, week. I have done so many dog walks with like warm cookies in my pocket, either like in a plastic bag or in a paper towel. It is a gift. I did. So this is like Steph's go-to recipe that I had never had before. And I walked in and I had one and I was like, mm, almost as good as sex. Like that's how good these cookies are. Like it's just. Thank you. These cookies are like, you should just, I don't know, sit out in your neighborhood and like woo a guy with these cookies in those fleece overalls, preferably. I should just walk down to the fire station on the corner before being oh, honest. Oh, would love you. Are you kidding me? Why has that not already happened? <laughs> okay. We also, regularly talk about how good looking they are. Okay. So if you don't do that, then at least write a book that starts that way. Hello, meet cute. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Nobody steal that that listens to this. It's Stephanie's. I gave it to Copyrighted. <clears throat> That's amazing. Um, while Stephanie was baking, I was also out to dinner, not for ramen, but I went to this restaurant called Mida, which was originally in the South End in Boston and then opened a suburban location in my hometown of Newtonville, Massachusetts. Um, what's utterly hilarious is that this restaurant space used to be a belly dancing restaurant. It was this restaurant called Karoon. It was there literally my entire childhood. And then a developer bought this whole corner in Newtonville. So now there's Mita and the Clover Food Lab and George Howell Coffee and Fuji Sushi. And it's just like, I can't believe that my tiny little quiet neighborhood of Newtonville has all those things. Um, but Mita's Italian. Wait, George Howell moved over there? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. Right next to Clover. That's huge. Free parking lot behind also for those who haven't been in a while. Um, so I was excited to go to Mita. I have been a couple times. I have tasted my way through almost all the vegetarian items on the menu. So I came like prepared. I knew what I was or was not going to get. Much to my surprise, two of the friends who I was dining with have a ton of food allergies and restrictions. So I thought, we're not going to be able to like share anything. That was not the case. They asked a million questions to see like what could or couldn't be had. We wound up doing the marinated olives. We had the like antipasto charcuterie board. We had um, like they brought the bread and the delicious olive oil. And then I had the pizza Bianco, which is the white pizza, no red sauce. Superb. And then we had the tiramisu for dessert. And I had never seen this before. They brought out like the lady fingers with the cream in the inside. And then table side, they poured the espresso over the lady fingers. I almost wish they would have given it to you in a tiny little um, thing so you could dip. Yeah, that also would have been delicious. So it was very fun and um, just like a lovely night out. And also it's wonderful when you get the downtown feeling, but then you get to be home in 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Amen. You know, really quite nice. We have a lot to talk about today because we are not doing, first of all, welcome to chapter 17, my lucky number. Um, we have decided to not do a particular book for this episode, but rather an author exploration. 
for Lauren Oliver, who people might know from YA books. They might know her from adult books. They might children. know her. Oh, and I forgot she has children's books. Has I haven't read any of those. Um, but I'm going to let Steph launch into Lauren Oliver because she was our lady that, that launched it for us. So when Caitlin and I were introduced by Molly, it was because of our love of pop culture, um, celeb gossip, you know, what movies are getting made, that sort of thing. And when we started having one-on-one dates, we discussed books and realized we both in our 30s were obsessed with YA books. Um, And my first Lauren Oliver book, my sort of gateway to her was Before I Fall. I remember reading in my tiny little 375 square foot apartment in Somerville and just devouring. I loved it so much. Her writing style, the story itself, um, to the point where anytime a new book of hers came out, I bought it in hardcover, which is like not, not something I like to do. Um, so I, we started sharing them back and forth. Caitlin has two of her books. I have the rest. Um, she she's kind of jumped all over with her with her stories before i fall is a ya sort of moody groundhog day um then she has a series called delirium pandemonium and requiem which are they came out around the same time as um i think i think they came out around the same time as um the divergent series and hunger Games series and it's also a sort of um um sci-fi fantasy like uh why can't i think of the word sunday morning oh um dystopian Dystopian. thank you (laughs) dystopian series that i believe took place in like maine i was imagining maine in my head did i make you read it no I didn't. I did not read that series, no. Oh, okay. Well, no, I'm going to have to make you read it. Um, Then we had Panic, which um, is available in a fantastic series on Amazon, um, which is about a small town where um, seniors get to participate in this series of increasingly more dangerous tasks, I guess. Um, Whoever makes it to the end without dying or maiming themselves wins a lot of money. And for the kids in this town, that's sort of the the way to get out of town is to survive this. Um, And then she sort of started to take a turn with Vanishing Girls, which um, I don't know how to talk about that without giving away. Then don't, because I'm going to read it still. Yeah. So it's... so. It's a it story has, about sisters. Yeah, and it has twists. And if you were a fan of We Were Liars, I would say it's like kind of in the same vein as that it's genre mystery. where there's adults in it and kids, and you could say it's an adult book or a YA book, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then she has um shoot, Broken Things. Was that the title of it? Mm-hmm. Um that one is a dark murder mystery about three best friends. Um from childhood one of them i believe gets it's been so long since i read it one of them gets murdered and the other two are trying to figure it out yes after the fact yes but it was like a much darker grittier feel well Um, i think that that one is one where the girls weren't really friends anymore yes and so when the when the one friend goes missing and then is found dead they're kind of like 
being relied on for like a lot of information from the police and stuff. And they kind of have to be like, well, we had a falling out because we're teenage girls and I don't know how helpful I'm going to be because I don't really know if I know what her life was all about anymore. Right. And so that's like part of the intrigue in that one. Yeah. And I think that might have been her last book. Um, I don't know. Maybe she did some child rooms. You're forgetting rooms. Rooms was in that's an in adult between. book. Rooms was a book about a house where a ghost lives in each room, and it's sort of the stories of each ghost. That one wasn't my favorite, but it was still beautifully written. That felt like a departure, like a complete departure from the like child YA stuff that she had been um, writing at that point. Um, she has a lot of children's books. I have not read any of them, um, so I can't speak to them. But what what I will say is she quickly became my favorite YA author. Um, her writing style, I don't really know how to describe it, but she just, she she knows how to talk about relationships in a way that feel completely relatable and beautiful and haunting, and you want that. Do you know what I mean? Um, I also think that she, when I read her books, I... I'm like, oh, I see where this is going to go. Like, I know what's going to happen. And then I don't think I've ever been right. Yeah. Which yeah. is surprising. I was saying this to both of you when I read Before I Fall, um, which came up on our previous episode about books you wish you could read again for the first time. I was the last one to read that one. And it's like a time loop, Groundhog Day premise, as Steph was saying before. And sometimes those books are hard for me because I'm just like, oh, my God, like, what could there be left to say? We're reliving the same day for like the 19th time. Every single time it restarted, she would pull a totally different thread that I was not expecting at all or focus on a character that seemed really peripheral before, but all of a sudden became really important. And I feel like she takes you down a path that you're just not expecting and you're like delighted that you couldn't predict that that's what was going to happen. And also the fact that that was her debut novel. I remember being in awe. Like that was just a beautifully put together book and i think she had to have been in her 20s at that point i'm math is not my strong that suit but. might be right that also became a movie and it was not good and people should skip it but the book is really good yeah it's so good and also it's very emotional like yeah. i feel like i that is technically ya that book mm -hmm. yeah so the topics or the subject matter within that book Yes, there's friendships, like traditional high school mean girl BS, but then there's also stuff about like loss and mental health and relationships with parents. And it's like, as an adult reading it, there's a ton of stuff in there that's relatable and has nothing to do with the high school storylines. And I feel like she walks that line really nicely. For me, I can't do the YA books that are like literally written for tweens. Like I just can't. I cannot. It doesn't hold my attention. But that book, I think those are kind of starting to go to the wayside anyway because they're realizing that adults will buy YA books if they're like well written. Totally. And I feel like that is the like best in class example of one that I didn't even really remember it was YA till I got to the end and I was rereading her bio. So here's a fun fact that is not off topic because we're talking about YA. The class that I'm taking that's the um, teaching social justice through young adult lit, um, the professor it, like talks a lot about the publishing industry and like why more diverse authors are being published and like 
why graphic novels have become more of a thing. And like, she has all these like fun, interesting facts that had to do with her research when she was getting her PhD. And she told me in the last, I believe it's 15 years, romance and YA are the most bought books on the planet. Like not just in the United States. Not surprised. I wasn't surprised either, but to like hear it, I was like, wow. Um, and I, you know, it's so interesting because, so I went to a new bookstore like last, what is today? Sunday? This was Thursday. Wow. It was only Thursday? Jeepers. So on Thursday, I was in Jamaica Plain and I went to Paper Cuts, which is a um, LGBTQ owned bookstore super funky and cool and like you really every corner that you turn you really have to pay attention because they have used every like bit of space that they have to pack it with books and tote bags and other things i was looking for a particular graphic novel that this professor had recommended and i was in the young adult section and the young adult, like, this is not a big store. Like, this is a small independent bookstore. The young adult section was, like, twice the size of, like, the memoir section. Because those are, like, two sections that I went to in the store. And I was like, whoa, this is, like, really, like, in the back of my mind, I just kept thinking about what that professor had said. And I was like, this is, this, the, here's a bookstore that's, like, catering to that. Like, this is what's going to be bought. So I just thought that was kind of cool. I think also when I started write, reading Lauren Oliver's book, there uh, before I fall, there weren't a ton of YA, or at least in my mind, there weren't a ton of YA books at that time. It was sort there of like might have been, but you weren't seeing them in the store. Well, I feel like it was that had oh god, I can't do math, so I'm not even going to pretend to know what year that was. But in my mind, that was like the end of my twenties, and. I feel like John Green was starting to get big. I don't even know, like, did Jenny Han have books out at that point? It felt like it was the beginning of a wave, but there still were not a ton of options available. And to find these books with the level of writing where it wasn't like writing down to her audience, it was like bringing the audience up to her level of writing. Um, I just really, I was like enamored with her right off the bat could not devour her books fast enough. Um, I don't think she has published a book, at least a YA or adult book since 2019, which I think was Broken Things. I think that was her last book. Before we talk about why we think that's happening, because you two have very hot takes that I was not privy to, to your point about YA sort of being more prevalent, taking up more space on the shelves, I think we have to talk about the fact that so many of them have been optioned for TV and movies and the way that people who only saw the shows, let's say, like Summer I Turned Pretty or saw only the To All the Boys I Loved Before movies started to be like, oh, these were books? And then mm -hmm. went back and got the books. And so people who encountered this stuff in the film version first then fell down the rabbit hole with the books. And that kind of cycle, I feel like, has just increased the visibility of those books tremendously. I have a ton of students that did that. I mean, we did that this year. I didn't read the Walter Boys until I heard that the show was coming out and I was like, better read the book. Right. Um, I just looked it up. Before I Fall came out in 2010 and the movie came out in 2017. Yep. Yep. And the star of the movie was Billy Dutch. 
Yeah. Which like she wasn't even really anybody yet. I was still thinking of her as being, you know, Michael J. Fox's mom's daughter from Back to the Future. Um, I will say one thing that is, even though her books range from like 10 year olds to adults, Lauren Oliver, every single one of her books has a female protagonist. Like there isn't a single book. I don't think that she's written that has a boy narrator, or boy point of view. I don't think any of them have that. Um, so that's just like one thing to note that I think is interesting because it doesn't matter like if it's like a dystopian or if it's like the repeating day trope or if it's whatever, like she picks a female protagonist every single time. They're the book that I no longer have that was um, two stories in one, depending on which cover you started from, which I cannot remember. Lyra? Lyrica? Lyra? Maybe. Um, I may be misremembering, but I think one side of that was from a male perspective. Oh, God. Replica and Lyra. Wow. Caitlin. <laughs> you didn't even read that? that, too. No, I didn't even read it. Look at me go. I could be wrong, but I think one side was actually from a male perspective. But that would be the only one, if so. She has not had a book come out since Broken Things in 2018. How depressing. We, well, we I mean, you and I, we would like text each other and oh, be yeah. like, I've already ordered that. I pre-ordered yep. this already. Don't get it. This was like back like you were living in like Porter Square Books was like your bookstore yep. at that point. And like, yep. She would text me and be like, it's already been ordered. Don't even worry about it. I'm reading it first. I'll get it to you when I'm done. Gee, Olivia Pope to you. It's handled. <laughs> she wrote, um, I believe she wrote the script for each episode of Panic. And that must have been around 2020, 2021. I'm trying to remember. That came out during the pandemic, didn't it? I feel like, yes. I could be misremembering. So she obviously was busy writing that. At that time, um, she also started two companies since then. So I understand the break in writing from that standpoint. She also mentioned recently on an Instagram post that she did write a book in there, but that it's been sitting in a submission pile for four years, which I had so many question marks pop up when that was said and then not really divulged more like that's a an odd thing to sort of just put out to the audience she did this series of three instagram videos like all in a row i obviously kept cutting her off with the time limit and she wanted to keep going and i said to steph and caitlin there was just kind of like a bitterness to the way she was describing mm -hmm. certain things and I thought to myself, how do you go from selling all those books and having like so a many books. TV adaptation to being someone whose book is like in the slush pile? Yeah, that, I, I don't know. I, I will say she did not fare well on Twitter you during the pandemic. She, yeah. it seemed. Well, first panic was not renewed for a it second It wasn't season. renewed and she seemed like super desperate for it to be renewed and was like, she wanted everybody to start like a campaign for a second season and this that and the other thing but it was like during the pandemic and like studios didn't have a lot of money and people weren't like going on sets yet i don't think and i would also argue it didn't need a second season it no. was perfectly wrapped up well it it followed the book yeah. and so like there wasn't a second book which i mean it, that has been done like you can do it but 
I just yeah, there was she like just, an unraveling. It like she feeling. was having a moment. Yeah. And it seems like she's a lot better now. Um and I would be very curious if like the book that she has sitting around is like maybe from that time period and and like oh. people just don't think it's gonna sell. So they're like, mm, no. Maybe. I'd be really curious to I mean, I will devour anything she Me puts too. out. I've been waiting. It's been six years. I would love for her to take like a more serious turn into adult stuff. I think she could do a fantastic job with that. Um, she has shown that she can do sort of like the mystery, um, thrillery unspooling of a story very well um, in Broken Things and Vanishing Vanishing Girls. Um, maybe that's what she needs is to try something completely new and step out of the YA um, bucket now that she's in her 40s. Um, maybe she needs a little bit more of a break. But I mean, uh, from one writer to another, there's no way to turn off the continuous ideas that come and if you don't write they're just gonna like build up in your head and then you end up baking tons and tons of cookies <laughs> yeah but think about how good those cookies were she she is so good and i'm wondering maybe maybe what she has sitting around isn't even a book maybe it's like a manuscript for another tv show that's not getting no. picked up and she, she got like the tv bug and now she wants to do that I don't know. It could be a lot of different things, but I hope she comes out with something soon because we, I mean, I haven't, I've read at least five of her books. Yeah. I think I've read at yeah, least five. Well, you have two at home. Yeah. And Molly, we just got Molly to do one or no, you've done two now. Um, So she's great. And I, I feel like a lot of people that listen to our podcast will really like her. Um, I think that her characters are relatable. I think that the writing is like really good and I'm not just saying like because it's YA like it's really good like it's good in general. Her books make me think. There's definitely some twists in them. I think that I'm trying to think if I know any teachers that teach any of her books and I feel like I do know somebody that teaches before I fall like for a high school course. I mean that would be a good one to sort of pick apart and discuss like themes and stuff with yeah. your actual teenage students. Yep. So I feel like I do know somebody that teaches that book. So there's definitely like the readability, teachability, that sort of thing. Um, What's interesting is I would say that I have read a lot of YA and I've read a lot of mediocre YA um, where just the language is sort of C level, maybe C plus at most. Even some big names, I would say, that have gotten a lot of attention. Can we just say the summer I turned pretty are not <laughs> great books? Let's just say it. The writing is not good. Thank no. you for saying that. But and she like <sighs> redeemed herself with the show, and I feel like she knows yes. that and would probably say it. The show is phenomenal, but the writing of those books is very simple. It's not. It's for thirteen-year-old girls. Yes. And and I just want to say that Lauren Oliver is a tier above that with her writing. And I maybe more than one tier. <laughs> I totally agree. I think her books, like I was saying, the, I forgot it was a YA book when I was reading yeah. Before I Fall. Panic was more obvious to me. It was YA, but but still very gripping, good pacing, like just they don't take it to the places it would go if it was an adult book. 
Um, but yeah, Before I Fall is as good as any adult fiction book, like period, full stop. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'm just a fan of hers, and I really would love for her to come out with a new book. Even if it was like a self-published book on Amazon, <laughs> I would still read it. Yeah, who cares? Maybe she has a Wattpad we don't know about. Still yeah. haven't gone on there. Still haven't gone down that road. I actually asked my sister about that, and she goes, oh, stay off of it. It's horrible. It's full of advertising. Okay, well, I'm in like a Swifty book club and people love stuff from there and like follow it. Like they're basically like chomping at the bit like, oh, do you think she's going to like post something today and like whatever? And I'm like, I don't know if I want to get into this or not. Feels dangerous. Um, But then I have a colleague who's 26 and I mentioned like, oh, you know, Wattpad. And he was like, oh, people are still doing that. So me, so we might have missed the boat. Um, I don't know. We just arrived, so we didn't know it was yeah. already. Over. I was like, I was like, oh yeah, I guess. So. Like I tried to play it cool. Like I'm not 38 years old, but I was like, yeah, I don't know. Like hmm. so, yeah. So apparently, he thinks that's old news. So, um. Also, I wanted to update the people on the Kindle situation. I hate it, and I won't be doing it. I don't really have much else to say. If I had to like goof around with it in the airport for like 45 minutes. I got nowhere. There's no buttons on it. It's my old paper white that I had from like 2018. Charged think- it up, did all the updates, played around with it. It's garbage. I hate it. I don't want to use it. I put it in a dark corner of my apartment and I'll probably never see it again. But do you think it's because it's an old one? Like would a newer one be better? I talked, just to my brother, with- I talked to my brother about it, and he was like, I don't think you're going to find anything you like better. Okay, then I'm going to save my money and just continue to buy actual paper books. Yes. <laughs> I think it's well established that we're paper book people here on Plans Are Booked. Should we turn to what we're reading? Because I can't wait to tell you guys about this one. Let's um, do it. So there were four books that I asked my sister to buy me for Christmas just so I didn't have to spend the money on them. Um, all of them were Instagram influenced. Um, this book, Shatter Me by Tahara Mafi, knew nothing about. Turns out there's like six. There are 13 books in the series. It's not the best when you start a book and it's like other books by this author and you're like, what? Wait, but this is within this series, which makes me, I feel like, when I before I started it, I was like, "If this is crap, I'm just going to read the one book, and that's fine. If it's fantastic, then I have to purchase twelve more books." Well, guess what? I'm going to have to purchase twelve more books. <laughs> okay, okay, because that's how good this is. Um, the reason I love it: big margins, decent size spacing. So I'm like flying through it. Um, what's interesting about this book? I want to read you this little blurb at the beginning because I I didn't even read the back. I just sort of – sometimes I like to go blind. Okay. It says, Dear Reader, the strikethroughs in the Shatter Me books are intentional. The writing in the series is occasionally as erratic as its main character and serves as a visual representation of the chaos in Juliet's mind. The repetition, the hyperbolic language, the obsession with numbers, these are not errors on the page. As our heroine grows and evolves, so too does the prose. And as she finds her voice, the strikethroughs disappear, the language softens, the repetition dissolves, and the numerals ease into written words. This is ultimately a story of change. Thank you so much for reading. So 
I love that. I love that she explained it. This is why I always read the freaking acknowledgments and the reader's guide, because sometimes you learn stuff like that, that makes the story make even more sense or feel more special or have like a, absolutely like a reference point that is more meaningful. But I appreciate that she put that before I even started it, because if that had been at the end, I would have been so annoyed until I got there. But instead, I went into it like the very first page. There are four lines that are striped through. It was like an instruction manual, user guide. I appreciate that. So let me I just want to read like the first half a page so you kind of understand it. So it says, I've been locked up for 264 days. I have nothing but a small notebook and a broken pen and the numbers in my head to keep me company. One window, four walls, 144 square feet of space, 26 letters in an alphabet. I haven't spoken for 264 days of isolation. None of those are striked out, but like later there are strikes, strike through. So you sort of get the initial thought and then the like edited thought so it comes across like everything is happening very fast and these are just like the actions and the reactions and then sort of like a second later she's sort of thinking about it and being like this is what I really mean um I don't even know how to tell you about the plot of this book without giving things away because it's so odd but basically it's um in the future the earth has sort of you know, global warming. Um, a lot of things have kind of gone to shit. Um, birds no longer fly. It's like that level of deterioration of the planet. Um, the population has dwindled and there's this new government called the re- reestablishment that has taken over. And she has spent basically the last almost year in isolation, not speaking in this prison where your door open, like she doesn't interact with anyone, but the door opens once a day it is dark outside of the door and you have to feel your way to the bathroom, quickly shower and return to your cell or else there's punishment. Um, it's, it's bizarre at first, but when she finally gets taken out of the prison, then you're stor- sort of seeing what the politics are, what the landscape is. There's a boy from her past who has reemerged into her present. Um, I'm really enjoying it. It is YA. I think it's YA. God, now I don't even know. I'm second guessing myself. It's fun. I needed something after Minka's book. I needed a lighter, not silly, but like like a palate cleanser. Yes. Um, and this is doing it for me. Plus eating five cookies in a row also did it for me. So that's where I am right now. So I started a book that you, Steph, lent to me called The Seven Year Slip, which mm-hmm. is by... Ashley Poston, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, Many people may know her from her previous book called The Dead Romantics, which was like everywhere last summer. I feel like every train, every plane, every beach I was at, somebody was reading that book. It has this bright orange cover of two people laying down reading books on top of the actual title. I have not yet read it, even though Steph also loaned me that, but I started on this one, The Seven Year Slip. It's also a time hopper. I know we've been talking about a lot. Um, It's about a woman named Clementine, just like makes me laugh that anybody would really be named Clementine. And she meets someone um, and it turns out that they have this seven year gap between when they meet and what's actually happening to her in the present day. And without spoiling too much, the timeline eventually does collide into the present day. And she's trying to make sense of how 
she can both know him in the past and also know him in the present and what part of it is really real and is she like summoning him um and when they meet in the past they're always in her aunt's apartment which is where she lives in the present day and where he was kind of subletting from her aunt one particular summer i was talking in our last episode about books that don't have good banter and how it's hard for me to continue this book is like a plus on the banter and not just romantic banter the banter between her and her boss her and her coworkers. i just like i i feel like i'm flying through it i started it yesterday and i'm already on page 183 her books are great but i can't wait to take that off your hands because my swifty book club that's the book and the meetings on february 25th oh my gosh okay and that book club when i joined it 68 people 850 something people now somebody on twitter just posted hey i'm a swifty i want to start a club on geneva which is kind of like a slack and are there any other swifties who are into reading and it just like blew up okay well i think you're gonna love this and i also just wanted to shout out one other time hop book while we're on the subject which is called una out of order i read this last year actually maybe at the beginning of last year and many people I knew who also read it compared it to Where'd You Go, Bernadette. It's like a little bit wacky and zany. And it's about this woman, Una, who every year on New Year's Eve gets sort of like thrust into a different year of her life. But she travels forward and back in time. So sometimes she's 19, sometimes she's 75, sometimes she's 32. But as it keeps happening, she knows things about what's going to happen to her in the future, which makes her change her behavior in whatever the present day is. And as she goes forward and back, it's like, how do you maintain relationships when you know what's going to happen? Or can you sort of decide to do things differently in the earlier years and hope that it changes your next flash forward? It just made me think about a lot of things. Like if you could know what would happen, what might you change? Or would you take bigger risks if you knew it wouldn't, failing in a certain way wouldn't matter? Um, it's just really, really, really well done and super creative. So I started a book that I learned about from Book Talk called Magnolia Parks. Um, it takes place in London, and it's about a woman named Magnolia Parks um, and a guy named BJ, I believe. Yes? Yes. And he's like a playboy. Like, he's like, you know, in the magazines, people in London know him. He's like kind of feels like a Paris Hilton in her heyday kind of thing, like a socialite. And they are like friends with benefits. And it becomes very clear from the start that like she has developed feelings for him, but she is like putting on a brave face and like pretending that she doesn't care that he's like sleeping around with other people. And the beginning of this book, similar to how you read the beginning of the book you're reading, has it like sets the tone, so I'm going to read it. Also, the dedication I thought was really nice, especially for Steph, since she's like a future writer of America. For the 2018 version of me who wanted to throw in the towel and become a history professor because creative rejection is hard on the heart. Also, for that version of you who nearly gave up on the thing you were made to do because creating is so costly. But here we are. Like Glennon says, we can do hard things. 
So that's like on her dedication page. And then this is like, this page doesn't even have a page number. It's just like the start of the book. How many loves do you get in a lifetime? How many people do you get to call yours? There are all sorts of loves in this world. Not all of them, but most of them are beautiful. Some are old, some noble, some brave. Others are dishonorable and weak and make you go make you so by association. Some are a low whisper on a somber night. Some are maddening. Some you can't ignore. They slow burn inside of you, never quite going out completely, but you're too scared to dare to try to fan that flame. Some loves you pretend you don't feel even when you can, even when you know you do, even if he's the first thing you think of in the morning, even if he's like a match in the darkened room of your heart. Because loving something how you love him is a painful love that puts rocks in your pockets and melancholy in your eyeballs. And if time has taught you anything, it's that it doesn't matter. You'll love him forever anyway. So that's, first of all, she's an author that I feel like I want to root for already based on that dedication page. Second of all, I felt like that was really relatable, that like intro to like everything that's going to happen. Because sometimes I'm like, I don't totally love the trope of like F buddies to love her. You know what I mean? Like I don't like totally go along with that. Like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But like if there's pining involved, like and it's one-sided, I could really get into that, I think. So that's kind of where I am with the book. And it's a series. And it's in London and it feels very Bridget Jones-ish almost. And I think that it's going to be really fun, even if it's a little maddening. Um, I have a really big book list on Instagram this week. That's all I could think as we were talking about all these books. Poor Molly has to make her little list. <laughs> the formatting. We might have to do a two-parter in order to get all the Lauren <laughs> all of her books in, plus everything else that we just talked about. Um, but if you guys want to follow along on everything we're reading and events we're going to, we have a couple events coming up. Definitely be sure to follow Plans Are Booked on Instagram. That's where we're sharing stuff in real time and anything we see about tv show film updates all that good stuff plus of course all the good romance memes and otherwise um and you can also write to us plans are booked at gmail.com if you'd like to let us know what you're reading or something you'd like us to cover so don't hesitate to give a shout until next time our plans are booked